the journey is finally complete. From the bottom to the top, Rangers are champions of Scotland. So much pressure on his shoulders. Not that you would ever guess it. A critical goal as Wickham try and try and chart away to an improbable second season in the championship. He's through the Hello and welcome to the Hopeless Wonder podcast with me, Adam Gipke, Craig Rogers and Annie McBride. And if you're watching with us right now live, come and say hello and make your thoughts known. And as ever, we've got quite a lot to cover off. So I'm just going to quickly go for the intros and start off by asking our co-hosts how they've been doing as well. So Andy, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, good. It's been a... Um... A good week um, in terms of my life that's uh, not football related. Uh, so, yeah, all good. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, keeping relatively well. Uh, I think I had a really good Easter weekend. Much needed, I think, just to switch off from work. But, yeah, really good. So thank you for asking. And, Craig, uh, good news about Rangers, which we'll talk about later. But more importantly, how are you doing, mate, as well? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Good. Spent the weekend in Wales doing some, some walking. Mm. Climbed snow on Saturday, and the dog decided about a half an hour from the top that she'd had enough. So I had to put the dog <laughs> in the rucksack and yeah, carry my cocker spaniel up and down the mountain, which um, <laughs> yeah, brought a lot of funny looks and laughs. But other than that, mate, yep, I'm all good. Good times, good times. Well, let's start off by asking you both your story of the weekend. So, um, let's start off with yourself, Craig, as we're with you. Uh, what was your story of the weekend? Well, yeah, look no further than the old fun game on, on Sunday, as I'm sure you'd expect. Not just for uh, the drama itself, Rangers being 1 0 down going into the last sort of 12 13 minutes to then equalise and, and then score mm. again an extra time. Um, so yeah, a very dramatic result, especially after playing 120 minutes on Thursday against Braga. Um, and then yeah, just for the, the blissful meltdown that has occurred since with everyone from John Hartson, and Chris Sutton to Dealey Eckert, everyone you know, trying to play <laughs> everyone but Celtic, which has been quite amusing. I'm sure we'll talk about my best friend John Hartson at some point in this pod also, who's yeah. you know had a, had a reasonably successful career, is now employed as a a broadcaster who doesn't understand the hand rule, uh, handball rule. So, yeah, yeah, all good, mate. All good. <laughs> good times. Yeah, I'm sure we'll cover that off later in the pod. Um, there's lots to talk about in the Scottish section, that's for sure. What about you, Andy? What was your story from the weekend? Uh, I think story for the weekend. Uh, I think it was like obviously a short dice sacking. I think mm. that when that broke, or was it Friday morning? I think it was that. That yeah. was um, a bit out there. So that, yeah, that was uh, probably the, the story of the weekend that so I've picked up from there. Mm, definitely. I have to say that's definitely one of the sections I'm keen to really cover off because, um, yeah, there's a few questions to be asked there. Um, as for me, I think I'm going to go a bit retro and rogue here. Um, I'm going to go with the three-team title race in Poland, uh, purely because, yeah, it doesn't get much coverage, I grant you. 
Um, but it's a very interesting title race for those that might be interested. So we've got the likes of Lech Poznan, Rakov Chesnohova, who recently came into the league, and Pogonstechin, all on level points up until that was last night, where Rakov Chesnohova played Pogonstechin. They won 2 1 uh, with an injury time winner. Um, that puts them top of the extra classer. Um, which means nothing to most listeners, I'm sure. But it basically, I think just to kind of put into perspective, this is the likes of someone that's come out of the lower leagues, been recently doing quite well at a higher level. Um, they were so close to qualification to Europa League this season, and now they could be pushing in for the championship and also potentially Champions League. So, um, yeah, obviously, if you want something a bit more nostalgic, go to the Polish League because there's an interesting title race. There's about four games to play, and one of those games um, is between Lech Poznan and uh, Rakov Częstochowa. So, very interesting. Anyway, let's move on to some of the weekend's games that did take place. And I thought we'd start off with the FA Cup semi final. Um, some interesting games, it's fair to say. So, we saw on it was Saturday, Man City taking on Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool here winning 3 2. Um, I think I was taken aback by how poor Man City were in the first half. Um, but yeah, it was a solid performance by Liverpool. This was followed up on Sunday by Chelsea also winning 2 0 against Crystal Palace. Um, yeah, I think by the basis of the game, it kind of seemed to go the way of Chelsea. Um, Palace were just lacking a bit of edge. Um, but let's get both of your guys' thoughts on this. Um, let's start off with the Man City-Liverpool game. If I start off with yourself, Andy, were you a bit taken back by how poor Man City were and, to an extent, how good Liverpool were? Yeah, um, I don't think it was a huge shock. I think when the lineups um came out, I think mm. Man City are feeling the pressure a little bit of the title race. They've also got the Champions League, which I know they're absolutely desperate to win. And so I think their priorities sort of um, were shown up in the changes. I made. I think it was seven changes. Um, you know, they changed their keeper from Edison to Stack Stefan, uh, American fellow. He hasn't played too much, but he, he has been their cup keeper. Um, you know, we had the likes of Sinchenko starting at left back. Fernandinho, obviously, he's getting on a bit now and leaving at the end of the year. Um, yeah, I think... Um, I think it was, I think subconsciously, I think their priorities were elsewhere. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't think it was a huge shock. I think Liverpool. Yeah, you look, you look, you look to their lineup. They were really, they really set their team up to win that game. Uh, there was no fucking about because normally Klopp's never really had much regard. I think for the domestic trophies, but I think given what's on offer this year in terms of like you know quadruple, treble, whichever, um, I think they're really, really going for it. Um, so yeah, I think um, that goalkeeper guy by Stefan really it was an absolute howler. Like, um, yeah. he, he obviously saw Edison doing getting trained and thought, Yeah, I could do that. <laughs> Realized he hasn't got a Brazilian passport, uh, <laughs> and got caught short. Um, and I think he's one of you know, because I, I remember he was at Dusseldorf and he was getting, I think he was he was getting regular game time there until he picked up an injury. It was the US men's national mm. team number one. And I think he's one of those, like, if the World Cup happening in the summer, he's obviously not good enough to be at Manchester City number one. And I think after, um, 
after that game, I think they'll be tempted to promote Gavin Bazunu, uh, the Irish keeper that City have got on their books mm. to maybe a number two role. So, yeah, I think that's his career done, certainly. I think Jack Greenish probably on the positive side for Manchester City. Like, I think he'll be glad that he's uh, got a goal because I think he's taken a little bit of shit for the lack of goals or assists since um, £100 million pounds of the finest uh, pounds went uh, Villa's way. So, yeah, I think Liverpool are playing exceptionally well at the moment. Um, I think they probably will go on to win the FA Cup. Um, they just seem to have a bit more quality about them. And they can make a few more changes to the front line. Uh, if you think about how they've integrated Yotta and Diaz into their front line mm. in the past 18 months or so, uh, it's quite impressive. Yeah. Um, Craig, I kind of felt like Man City, I don't know, let Liverpool dominate them in the first half. But I think something that's been picked up by a lot of the media outlets is around Pep and the lack of substitutions in this match from him. Um, it's been picked up by the fact that he's done this more than once anyway in the past, where if they have been losing quite by a margin anyway, he kind of tends to let that team get on and try and get them back into the game. Um, but I, I thought, you know, Kevin De Bruyne was probably a shoo-in for a half-time substitution, but it never happened and never materialised. Clearly, they've got their aims around the Champions League that's going to be taking place on Tuesday night. Uh, well, this is next Tuesday night, should I say. Um, but yeah, obviously, did you feel that maybe Man City, with the quality that they had on the bench, they could have pushed for at least an equaliser or try and get themselves back into the game? Well, certainly. I mean, that Manchester City bench is you know, probably the, the best bench in world football. Um, you know, the deepest squad around. Could they have made subs and pushed for a winner? Yes, but I don't think Pep Guardiola and Manchester City are particularly interested in the FA Cup. Mm. I think they've got three cups to play for at the moment. The FA Cup is by far uh, third on that list. Um, and I think Pep Guardiola is looking ahead to uh, they played Brighton um, midweek, looking to the game this weekend and the Champions League uh, next midweek, and I think you'll see those those three games as, as far more important than an FA Cup run. Um, I don't think he's in the slightest bit bothered, and mm. I think that was reflected in the starting eleven that they played. It's not just that he feels a, a slightly weaker team, and we've seen through the league games recently that these two teams are very evenly paired up. So if you do play a weaker team, Liverpool got the upper hand, and I think that mentally sends a message not only to your players but also to Liverpool that. Um, we're almost you know, accepting that this isn't a priority for us and I think that bled onto the park Liverpool, mm. you know, I think Andy's right, I think they're, they're one of the better teams in the world at the moment, potentially the best team in the world at the moment with the way that they're playing um, so yeah, if Man City, even if Man City played a full squad who were slightly off at Liverpool, I think would have beat them so yeah, not a surprise and I think when Pep saw that the game was gone, um, I know it was 3-2 but 3-2 was not really a reflective scoreline, uh, I thought based mm -hmm. on the performances, I think Pep seeing the game was gone, don't risk anyone coming on, potentially picking up any injuries um, yeah, I think he was quite happy to just let that one go really Yeah, If I stick with you then, obviously we saw Chelsea winning 2-0 against Palace um, yeah, I felt like obviously it felt to me like they're missing Conor Gallagher to an extent because I feel like his energy was probably missing in the middle of the park and may have been a difference. That said, I don't think I can remember Palace having a quality kind of chance. So I felt like obviously Chelsea went about it in a professional manner. 
but it does kind of stem to the point of Chelsea seem to be a cup team at the moment. They just need to bring that form into the league, which we'll talk about in a minute anyway. Um, but yeah, professional performance by Tuchel and Chelsea, right? Yeah, that was a, it. Was a, a, a big game at Wembley and again, very much the sort of the, some of the, the Crystal Palace accounts I saw on Twitter. It was very much an atmosphere of, isn't this great? It's already out where Chelsea was very much, like you said, professional, business-like. Um, they went in there to do a job and they, they controlled the game largely throughout the 90 minutes. So, yeah, you're right. Mm. I saw the highlights and there weren't many from, from Crystal Palace, if, if any at all. Yeah, they missed, they missed that that spark up from which they have missed um, without Conor Gallagher for most of the season anyway. It's not a surprise yeah. that when Gallagher and Saha aren't firing, they struggle to score goals. And I think, you know, you saw that on, you saw that at the weekend there. So, yeah, not a surprise, but person Patrick Vera can be exceptionally proud that Palace team, you know, if you told mm-hmm. them, you'd be, you'd be absolutely comfortable um, in the league and, you know, get to a trip to Wembley for a semi-final. I think if you told them that in August, they'd have, they'd have happily accepted that. So, yeah, good for season for Vera, something you can certainly build on. But in the end, Chelsea just, yeah, just too good and overpowered Palace on the day. Yeah, and massive kudos to their fans uh, towards the end of the match. Yeah, they still yeah. made a carnival atmosphere, even though they were losing 2-0 at that time. They've, so. got, a, they've got the kind of, kind of low-key, superb mm. support. I've never time I watch Palace on telly. They're exceptionally loud. They've got quite an active an active scene down there. So, yeah, credit where it's due. Um, yeah, there's not there's a lot of bigger teams in Palace who, who don't have fan base like that. So, yeah, I must admit, it's whenever, whenever I hear Palace on television, it seems, you know, Silver's Park is, is very, very loud. So, yeah, yeah credit, credit to them. Yeah, it does, definitely feels like a European element when you could sell us Park yeah. compared to most Premier League runs. Um, let's move on then to Premier League. Um, and let's actually, let's start off by talking about what happened on Good Friday, which was the nailing of Sean Dyche. Um, a bit of a surprise, I feel. Um, but yeah, literally, um, I think I, we were all taken aback by that particular sacking. Uh, for me, though, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like... There should have been someone re- ready to replace him. Um, it felt like out of the ordinary to kind of suddenly decide to sack him. But there has been murmurs apparently uh, from the Athletic and etc. saying that the squad were happy about this decision. They felt like it got a bit stale with Daesh in charge. Um, they've only got four wins this season, which kind of tells its own story. But at the same time, Daesh hasn't been given any support in terms of trying to reinvest money into the squads. We know about the ownership and they seem to be doing a glazer job on Burnley at the moment in that sense. Um, so if I start off with yourself, Andy, you were taken aback by this. And yeah, I think does this kind of nail relegation now for Burnley? Yeah, I think they've obviously, um, it's just an overall very amusing move. Like, you know, they're obviously panicking at this point um, and they're taking a gamble uh, mm. but surely it'd be a more calculated gamble if they had somebody lined up for that you know that uh, stereotypical new manager bouts um, and yeah it's just very just very very odd I think what's happened because of the you know he's been there all through what nearly 10 years in like October it would have been mm. and it felt very very sudden and cold-hearted you know there was no like fond farewell or goodbyes or anything like that at all. It was just it was very sudden, and I think there's obviously been some sort of major disagreement in the background. Um, 
I think, you know, the Atletico right, it had become a little bit stale. Like, I think Burnley have just been lucky in that there's been three worst teams. But when you look at their net spend since, like, 2000, for the past five years, it was like, it, it rocks up at, like, £20 million net spend mm. over that long a period of time. And I'm sorry, but I know they're I know they're obviously quite a small club, like in a relatively small town. But when you're taking home eighty odd million quid in TV money, and you're telling me you can't spend a bit more than that on investing in the squads, like that's not really an excuse to be perfectly honest. Especially when you factor in the the amount of time they've been in the Premier League, you know. Because I think last, you know, it's been a They've had um, like seven or eight of the people that were there five years ago are still rocking up for Burnley now. I think I remember during the COVID window they died. They signed Dale Stevens yeah. for Brighton's that only signing who's barely got a game. I think um, you know they brought in um, that young defender from Stoke. Uh, yeah. they, uh, probably too fair to have looked like a decent prospect, mm-hmm. but uh, the only reason why they got about Redhorst is because uh, they let. Um, Chris Wood go well. I think they paid the release fee, so probably let go is a little bit yeah. harsh, but you know, they could have done more if they yeah. wanted to. And obviously, what's mm. happened is that we wrote at Alan Pace, he's mortgaged your club to the hilt. Um, and I'm not 100% convinced to be honest with you that he's budgeted for championship mm. football. Because uh, they had the, they had those games in hand, and I think the assumption was is that they would just get those points back. Um, and I think um, it's just because a blind panic move. They haven't got anything lined up. They've got the club captain on the touch lines shouting mm. instructions. This is the Premier League club, man. Like, you know, um, it's all been quite haphazard. Um, mm. And to be honest with you, like, they're the sort of club where if they go down, which is quite likely at this point, unlike a Bournemouth or a Fulham, I don't see them, so I don't see them investing. Uh, yeah. what's necessary to refresh the squad and go back up again. Mm. Um, I think they're in, I know it sounds a bit grim, but I think they're in a bit of a world of trouble because I think that ownership group that, and the setup and the way they bought them, mm. I think it's going to fuck them over. Yeah. And uh, Craig, as we talk about the fact that Ben Mee is in charge of Burnley, uh, he got a good result on Sunday. It was West Ham. They drew one all. And as we speak right now, they are beating Southampton 1-0. Um, so that's much needed in their kind of survival hopes, especially given the form of Everton of late as well. But it all depends on which Everton team decides to turn up because obviously they got the late equaliser last night. Um, but yeah, obviously when we look at their results in recent form as well, it's not looking too pretty for Everton. So is that kind of going to give them a glimmer of hope that potentially, despite sacking Dyche, they could potentially turn this around still? Yeah, they, it's not their destiny is not in their own hands anymore. They, they do require other teams to drop points. Um, some of the, the teams that we spoke about earlier in the season, your Newcastle's, Brentford's, Leeds have pulled away now, um, and now Burnley have, have almost left it too late. I feel like with eight games to go, you almost have to just stick with with Deitch. And Andy's absolutely right again that I could have almost understood this a little bit more if they'd have had someone in the day after or two days after and. You won't hear me praise Daniel Levy often in a show, but when they sacked Nuno Espirito Santo, Antonio Conte was announced literally the next day because he clearly planned for it. It was in the works. Yeah. So it almost leads you to think that something has happened behind the scenes that we might not be privy to yet that made this 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 dismissal immediate because it's either something that we don't know about or it's been exceptionally poorly planned. Because I think, and I think you guys agree, is that Burnley's survival chances are weakened 
without Sean Dyche. I think personally, I might be proven wrong, as I often am on this show, but it just feels like if there was one guy you would back to get Burnley out of the shit, the last eight games of the season to put a run of you know two or three wins together might be enough for Burnley. Um, but they, they have to hope that Everton stick the place out. Uh, I don't think it matters which Everton side turn up on Sunday. I think Liverpool will, will absolutely beast them, and we might we might come on to Sadio, um, sorry, Mo Salah's comments on on that game uh, later on because he is licking his lips at the prospect of playing this Everton side. But they have to hope that Everton take a couple of drummings. If they can beat Southampton tonight and get a result at the weekend, then then you never know. But yeah, I was quite surprised that yeah yeah H was gone. It was probably the best run club in the Premier League before the takeover. Yeah. In all honesty, you know, really, really prudent with us the spending. And Sean Dykes was a massive part of that. He, he went to the well with that squad repeatedly, managed to drain out every last bit of blood and sweat out of them. So the fact that they stayed, you know, solvent for a long, long time was was partly due to him. So with him gone and he's right again, there's no way that the, the, the prospective buyers would have would have budgeted for championship football. Um, so that's an £80 million pound hole in the budget already uh, from your TV money. Yes, you'll get parachute payments, but yeah, it's, it's one of those clubs that, that may not come back up and you might see Burnley in the, in the championship for, for three or four years until they can get it back together. Okay, well, let's move on to the Premier League because there's a few fixtures that did take place over the weekend and the week. So just to go through last weekend's results anyway. So Tottenham lost to Brighton 1-0. Uh, Brighton going away with six points from North London in two consecutive weekends. Man United scraping a 3-2 win against Norwich. I'm sure we'll get Andy's thoughts on that. Southampton beating Arsenal, which I thought, here we go, here's the collapse. But obviously we saw what happened last night. And I think it's pretty much nailed on that Watford are now down. They lost 2-1 to Brentford. Um, that seems nailed on now for Watford to join Norwich potentially. And then on Sunday, we also saw Newcastle or winning, should I say, 2-1 against Leicester. Um, and if start off with Man United, um, good hat-trick by Ronaldo, but a poor performance overall, wasn't it? Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, I think the, the, the opening like, few minutes, I think, was relatively encouraging. I was creating a lot of chances and things like that. Uh, but I just feel like a broken record because I'm constantly saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, you know, we let we let Norwich, you know, who have been shocking and stinking the place out all season, um, score two goals against us. And, you know, defending was, um, you know, we're making, like, Team Pookie look like prime... Um, Brazilian Ronaldo, like running in the goal, <laughs> slamming it in. I'm just like, come on. It's just, yeah, it's just there's no um, structure. There's no, um, you know, defined way of playing at all. And it's just, uh, I think we're just very lucky on that particular day that Ronaldo rolled back the years a little bit. I think he's the first free kick I've seen him score uh, for quite a few years. Um, and yeah, he was brilliant. Um, I think probably the thing I noticed the most about that is that Ronaldo has stayed more in just in the area. I think mm. maybe he's been told a little bit, just like, look, just stay in the box and knock some goals in. Because, uh, you know, he's 37 years old, he's knocked in 15 Premier League goals, and he looks like the only person in the squad at the moment capable of doing something. Um, you know, and obviously to pull out that free kick um, at the end, I think it was a very, you know, positive um, end to that game. It was, like I said, it was a really poor performance. Um, you know, I, I know we'll go on to what happened with the Liverpool game, but if you're struggling against Norwich, then there's to be honest, you don't deserve top four any form of Europe, really. Mm. It's just a really, it's just that midfield. Um, you know, as much as Randnick's done quite well 
I guess, off the pitch. On the pitch, I just couldn't understand the midfield lineup of um, you know a geriatric Pogba and um, you know Bruno Fernandez, and they're wondering why there's um, nothing really in defence. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, come on, um, yeah, it's just there's no you know as much as it's quite easy to bash the likes of Harry Maguire and things like that, yeah. you know when they've got zero protection on the flanks because Alex Tellers can't defend to save his life, and nor can Diogo Dello. Um, you've got you've got like three midfielders who, uh, yeah, as obviously Lingard, Pogba, and Fernandez. Neither of them are particularly defensively minded. So you know, whoever the two centre backs and goalkeeper are, you kind of you kind of looking around the game. Where's the help? Uh, and there isn't any. So um, yeah, I think that's just a sign of what was to come the following couple of days, really. Mm. So let me just bring on the topic of yesterday's match but also um, let's talk about also uh, the Ten Hag appointment as well um, we had this comment from Chris Hamilton who's a staunch Liverpool fan so obviously he's there to wind you up Andy but yeah United Ten Hag announcement he's put equal distraction for the Liverpool game um, I don't know where to start but let's start by the Liverpool game obviously 4-0 win for Liverpool you said a lot of things on Twitter. You've said a lot since. Um, for me, I mean, that was probably the most lacklustre performance I've ever seen by a club trying to take on Liverpool. Um, but I think for most Man United fans, which was reflected by um, uh, our previous guest, Joe Butler as well, talking about obviously the fact that when you go to Liverpool or even when Liverpool have come to United, when United have been in their prime, um, they would give United a game here. There just didn't seem to be a clue when I was watching it. I mean, you couldn't tell what formation they were playing. At times, even when they were put, getting the ball to Rashford, Rashford didn't seem interested at times. Um, just not like the intensity wasn't there. I think, I don't know what was more disappointing. Was it the effort from the players or was it just the fact that you've come to that realisation that, yeah, this squad, this group of players are really poor and they need shifting very fast. Yeah, so it's a lot to unpack, I suppose. Uh, I mean, f I guess from my personal point of view, like it's very clear that Liverpool have got better players, they've built their squad better. And, you know, what you see now is five or six years of really careful squad building and they've put together a fantastic team. So I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with you going, you know what, the opposition have better players. The thing that uh, annoys me and I think annoys every other Manchester United fan is, and any football fan, when, you, when you're watching your team, the absolute minimum you expect is effort. Um, you mm. know, in a game against Liverpool, who are your biggest rivals, you know, you know, if, if you've been outclassed and, uh, you know, stick the boot in a little bit, run a bit harder. Um, you know, this is a common theme of Manchester United. They got outrun by 10 kilometres against Everton. Um, I mean, just there's just an awful lot of players that don't seem to give a shit. And yeah. you know, when you play, when you're playing players who are going to be out of contract or going to be moving on and stuff like that, um, it's just poor. And yeah, I think some of the, the tactical part of it as well. Like, you know, I know a lot of it is down to the players, but I think um, from Ragnick's point of view, I think some of the decisions were. A little bit peculiar. Um, he started, um, you know, Phil Jones. He's barely played any football in two or three years, 
and you're like, right, you're starting against Liverpool, who are the best team in the league. Not only that, you're going to start in a back three, and we're going to play Diogo Dalla at left-back. Uh, I just don't understand where the sense was in that one. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it was just an absolutely disgraceful performance. The, the zone was set. You know, if, you look, if you look at Luis Diaz's first goal, like... The defenders were pushing up without any, you know, they weren't in line to the, the, the centre-back, the left side of the centre-back or left-back just pushed up too high, broke past the line and it was just a tap-in. Um, and, uh, you know, the thing that made me a little bit angry as well was um, Paul Pogba. Um, I know he's obviously quite an easy target in the media, but I think the fact he saw the first goal went in, suddenly pulled up with an innocuous injury where nobody really knew what it was, I just trudged off the pitch. Um, I thought it was just that was just him going. You know what? I don't want really to be part of this. Uh, I know maybe this is the mini tin hat, tin full hat moment I'm going to have, but he did the same in the home game against Liverpool, where he came off the bench. Ten minutes later, he's off the pitch. He's been sent off. Like, mm. and it, you know, with Rashford as well, he doesn't look interested. Uh, and I think a lot of apologies probably myself included, are probably owed to uh, Fred and McTominay because I know I've roasted them a lot in the past, especially Fred. But I tell you what, like compared to while they've been out of a squad of injury, at least they gave a shit. At least they ran, you know, they closed people down. They, you know, they tried to get stuck in and make things happen. Whereas uh, most of this lot are just gutless. Um, I think Harry Maguire's comments as well before the game, you know, he had an interview on Sky where... He's wholeheartedly said, "Yep, you know, I wouldn't be in. I wouldn't be in the starting eleven if I wasn't performing well." And I think if you're the club captain, Manchester United, and you think your performances are up to scratch at the moment, then there's something seriously, seriously wrong. Um, mm. And I think that's where you know I'm at with it. Is that you know it could have been five, five or six nil again. Uh, you know, Liverpool had plenty of chances. I think Mo Salah, you know he was given all the space he needed down on the left, um, you know, with a couple of really tidy finishes. And it was just a hopeless performance, really. Um, yeah, it was just an absolute disgrace. And it's one of those, like, I can't, I'm almost beyond angry at this point because it was fully expected. You know, everybody, mm. I think what was disappointing that everybody knew Manchester United were going to get stuffed. And, they, and the lads who were on the pitch weren't going to do anything different to suggest otherwise. Um, you know, I think Radic said himself in the post-match interview that, you know, potentially nine or ten players need to come in. Um, you know, I said on the pod last week that you could probably cut off 15 players, 10 to 15 players out of that Manchester United squad and nobody would be in the slightest bit bothered. And I think mm. what was quite telling is that they sacked their global head of scouting and head of recruitment. Yeah. Uh, during the week that came out in the Athletic, um, which is not a surprise because, you know, uh, apparently there was a thing that when Rangnick wanted a bit of information on um, Nkuku, please, for okay. um, RV Leipzig, like apparently there wasn't any information. They didn't on have it. a clue, no. And I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, come on. So, yeah, there's an awful lot wrong at the moment. I think a lot of fans acknowledge that. Um, 
you know, they acknowledge that it's uh, down to the players. And I think it's taking a long time in coming. So if I am to take a positive out of this situation, um, I said a few months ago when Oli Gunnar Solskjaer got sacked, we'll see, we'll see if it was the coaching, which is the common thing, mm. or if it was the players. And I think nobody is in any shadow of a doubt that this group of players are, are not the ones to, um, they shouldn't be continuing with the club. So, yeah. yeah, it was just exceptionally disappointing. And the fact was, I sat with a Liverpool fan when I was watching it um, <laughs> as well, just to compound my misery. But, yeah, I think um, I think if, it, if the creep was um, doing the, the grades for this game, there'd be minus scores for the United yeah. players. Craig, if you're off Ragnick right now, uh, do you kind of stay and stick around with Ten Hag being announced? Or what, what would you do? Because he's... One of the things that I liked about Andy's tweet, I think it was earlier today, that Ralph Ragnick is just highlighting the many flaws that have been going on at United over a number of seasons, not just this season, right? So, um, yeah, I think this is the thing. You look at Ragnick's position, what, what does he actually add now? Does he stick around or does he just say, call it quits, let me get my paycheck and uh, leave it to the new man that's come into the building? Well, I think Rangy will, will want to stay. You know, my, my question would be, do Manchester United fans see enough in Ralph Rangnick to want him to be an integral part of this rebuild? Uh, you look at you look at the game on, on Tuesday night and I was astonished at, at the lineup. if I'm honest. I, I, it was a, a three, you know, three at the back with full backs, but all intents and purposes was a back five, which Manchester United, from my recollection, haven't played all season. Um, the inclusion of Phil Jones, I thought, was bizarre. You bring in a guy out the cold, um, starting away from home against your biggest rivals and probably the best front three in world football, I thought was exceptionally naive to, to start Phil Jones. And then I started watching the game and Adam Wan-Bissaka, I saw it left wing back. And then I, and then I thought, so some, there must have been a passage of play here as I was looking at my phone that's, that's dragged him out of there. But no, he was actually playing left wing fullback. And if you think he gives you nothing going forward in his actual position, He's going to give you less than fuck all on the left-hand <laughs> side. Um, and then, yeah, Pogba, I agree with Andy again. Couldn't wait to get off the park. Um, I'm surprised he even lasted that long. Could not wait to shit the bed and get off of there. He could see what was coming. And that, that midfield three of, of Matic, Pogba and Bruno, there ain't a lot of defending happening there anyway. Matic is, you know, he's like a bit of a cart horse at the moment and he's going to get lit up anyway. To replace Pogba with Jesse Lingard as one of your midfield three, I thought was unbelievably poor decision making. And that just left. And after that, there was absolutely no control for Manchester United whatsoever. So, listen, I think question marks about Ranik as well. Do you, as a director of football there, if he's doing scouting and recruitment, yes, but I wouldn't want him dictating any sort of the tactical rebuild for that for this side. Mm. You've got to ask the question, right? See. I've been there with Rangers and Celtic, right? So I've been there under the Murta years when you're going to Parkhead and you know you're going to get beat, right? There's, it's not even a question. You know it could be four or five here. What you want to do is, as as you said, maximum effort. Let's make it at least difficult and let's try and keep it respectable here. To go there and get, get beat like that and get opened up like that, I think even a Sam Allardyce or a fucking Roy Hodgson could have set up a team better than that last night. So just to defend and keep it one or two now. I, I do, I generally do. I don't know what the, the lineup itself was bizarre. The decision making during the game, even more so. I'm, I'm left to thinking this is a massive, this is a, a massive job, probably bigger than Ten Hag appreciates. And, and Andy says there, you know, you need 10 players. You're not going to get 10 first teamers at 70, 80 million pounds in one window. You're probably not going to get them in three, four windows. 
And if you think Liverpool or Man City are, are four or five years ahead now, that's if they just stand still. So as they keep improving and buying in new players, Manchester United have got an awful long recovery here. And I just I hope that they have patience with Ten Hag. I, I think Ten Hag mm. is the right appointment. Um, but that comes with the caveat of they have to give them time. If they have a bad season next year and finish fifth, Manchester United cannot shit the bed, sack him and start this process mm. again. They're going to have to pick a guy and they'll think they've got the right guy with the right philosophy and the right mindset. Stick with them. And if he has one or two bad years, you can't pull the baby out with the bathwater. You're going to have to stick with him, providing there's small signs of progress so it can't be a, a total bin fire. But if he finishes fifth next year and you can see that there are changes, like, listen, don't shit the bed. Stick with them. Give them four or five windows. Um, and yeah, get some scouts in who know what they're talking about. I mean, we're, still, we're talking about Manchester United centre-half pairing here. Sven Botman's still at Leo. Mm-hmm. Leo are in the shit financially. You could go and get him for 35 million euros tomorrow. Yeah. Why are players like that not being hoovered up? He is inst- If you sign Sven Botman tomorrow, he's your best centre-half inst- overnight. Why are they mm-hmm. not going Christopher Nkunku, why is he not why are they not going to yeah. get any kind of players? Yeah, your Diaz um for Liverpool, your Diego Jotas, these are players that Manchester City, Manchester United, sorry, just do not sign. Um mm-hmm. go look at the players that, that Man City have brought in as well. Um Manchester United are just they just don't have scouts that, that think like that. And they're yeah. gonna have to get away from these big flashy signings. Yeah, Jaden Sancho, that's great, 75 million quid, that's great. Ronaldo, yeah, that's great, but you know, go out and get functional players who are actually going to make your team better and make you more likely to win football matches. And at the moment, the, the, the recruitment for Manchester United has been exceptionally poor. Um, it would make me sick to think of the money that's been spent in the last six years, six, seven years, to assemble this squad. Listen, you're talking hundreds of millions of pounds to assemble what is essentially the worst Manchester United side I have seen in my adult life. Um, mm. We talked before we come on the pod, I mean, at least under social you're dangerous, where you think... Or do you know what? Liverpool are a better side, but at least Man United have got a puncher's chance. They don't yeah. have that anymore. Under Mourinho and Van Gaal, fucking hell, it was bad, but at least they were solid. And this is, you know, post Fergie, this is by far the worst it's been. Um, and they cannot just continue to have this cycle of you give a guy two years and sack him. We're going to have to stick with Ten Hag um, and, and go for it and really stick with him and give him it to go. But listen, yeah, we'll see over the coming, the coming months and years. I think the summer will be interesting. Um, it's probably the biggest transfer window they've had in. 15 years, I think, Man United have got to... And who's going out is more important, probably, who's coming in. You need to get, get these guys out of here, freshen it up, and I think, you know, Andy would agree, you'd rather have bring in three or four first-teamers and play some kids next year and finish sixth than, than deal with some of this shit we've got this season because, yeah, guys like Pogba, Matic, um, Lingard, just thinking out the place with, with piss poor performances. So, yeah, I feel like I've ranted a bit more than Andy usually does about Manchester United, but that, <laughs> that, that on Tuesday pissed me off as a neutral and yeah. that. Manchester United are one of the biggest clubs in world football and to see that what they've fallen to, yeah, it, it did piss me off a bit. Yeah, and I think just to summarise this, Andy, we laughed about this offline, but we had this question from Jack from the Love of Lists podcast asking us to name a combined Wickham and Man United team. Uh, I think you're going to make it nice and short and sweet for the listener and what would your combined eleven consist of? All of all of them would play for Wickham, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, based on that performance. So you know what? It's not even much of a joke to be honest with you, because mm. like a team like Wickham would have put in a better performance against Liverpool than um, the Manchester United did. So yeah, I think uh, as, as Craig said, um, 
you know, I think the, the fact they you know sacked off a couple of their scouting staff is quite telling at United. And I think with Ragnick, I think the coaching part of it, we'll just call it what it is. It's been a failure. Um, he was brought in at the very, very least to get, you know, top four. And that hasn't happened. Um, I think he's done well in highlighting the problems off the pitch. And I think he deserves the opportunity to help you know, I guess redo, help redo the recruitment side mm. of it and, you know, the back of house stuff. But yeah, they just need to let Ted Hag get on with it. Um, mm. So yeah, hopefully uh, this summer, uh, they'll be at the start of that process. Craig, I just wanted to talk quickly about Chelsea's form in the league as well as Arsenal's form in the league. Um, obviously referring to Saturday first, Arsenal lost 1-0 to Southampton. But then come last night, they went to Stamford Bridge and got a 4-2 win against Chelsea. They now go into the match with Man United, licking their lips, potentially looking to uh, cement fourth place. Um, what, what do you make of Chelsea's form in the league? Because it's not happened overnight. It is falling quite drastically. Um, but they don't seem to be able to play. And I don't know whether it's just that Champions League match that's taken in all of that intensity that they had out of it. Um, but that said, they have had matches this season where they've failed um, to beat those teams that they should do. And I'm not talking about this Arsenal match, but there's been other matches this season where they should be doing better. And it's been flags, you know, even recently, the number of goals they're shipping right now is quite alarming for Chelsea fans right now. Um, I mean, it was interesting seeing the scenes at the end of this match against Arsenal where fans are asking Aspicoleta, where's the effort? Um, which I found quite astonishing because I don't think for years the Chelsea crowd have got onto the backs of the players because of a lack of effort. And that was quite telling. Um, that said, obviously, Arsenal contrasting kind of season. Um, interesting that they're getting the form at this very moment, but I still feel they've got like a Spursy moment in them as well. Yeah. Um, what do you make of both sides' form recently? Uh, okay, start off with, with Arsenal. Um, after Arteta were manager of the month in, in March and went on that run and looked assuring for top four, they've they've kind of fallen away, and I wonder if that's the it's you know it's like the, the mentality of of chasing that top four is different from the mentality of being in the top four and trying to hold on to it. I wonder if they kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit. But then last night they were they were superb. Um, and you know you're a braver man than I if you're willing to put money on who wins the game on on Saturday afternoon because Man United and Arsenal that could be could be anything. I think mm. Arsenal probably a little bit less shit, um, but should steer me towards them. But that could be that could be totally anything. Chelsea. I wonder if, you know, we've criticised Rangers this season a little bit, and I think there's a bit of a comparison, but Rangers last year won the 55th title, almost kind of climbed their mountain, and we found it quite difficult this year to get the players as hungry as that again. And I wonder if there's a bit of that with the Champions League with Chelsea last year, whether players have you know, climbed that mountain, achieved that goal, um, had a good start to the, the season. I think now it's obviously pretty clear they're not going to win the league. Uh, they've been knocked out of the Champions League, which would have hurt. I mean, let's not underestimate that. That night in Madrid, um, or both nights really, would have would have really, really hurt them. And I wonder if they're now just thinking, yeah, we're not, we're out of the Champions League. We're not going to win the league. And I wonder if they're just sort of, they know they're going to finish third. I do wonder if it's a bit of a, listen, let's just, let's just limp towards the end of the season here. And then maybe the effort just isn't quite there. Um, I was surprised to hear Thomas Tuchel blaming the pitch at Chelsea. Um mm. This morning, I, you know, 
the groundsman probably work in the same office block as you. I don't know why you can't have those conversations and, and try and sort the pitch out. But yeah, Chelsea just seem like a bit of a club that are limping towards the end of the season. I think there'll be more of these shock results as they go through. I think the yeah, teams will definitely take points off of them. Arsenal, I feel like they are the more the closer they get to finishing top four, the more nervous they get. Um, but yeah, back into Paul, we'll maybe just about get a result on, on Saturday. Um, but yeah, funny old, funny old season. I think Chelsea are just limping towards the end, to be honest. I mean, what about yourself? You have you know, watched the game. Um, so what, how would you diagnose Chelsea's last six to eight weeks, I suppose? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, I don't know whether the distractions off the pitch are affecting it. And what I mean by that, I'm not talking about the ownership piece, but actually the contractual aspects. So the likes of Rudiger, I mean, normally we've been talking about how superb he has been this season, but actually probably listened to last month. I'd say he's been a shadow of his normal self, um, whether he's got thoughts of moving on based on the fact of where they're potentially going might be on his mind right now. Um, Asper Coletto is normally kind of a legend in that respect. He's been kind of relied on to put in the performances. He was really poor. I mean, he conceded a penalty, um, which he just manhandled, I think, Osaka to the floor. I mean, you, you can't even say that was like him not knowing what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Christensen, I mean, I, I feel sorry for whoever does sign him up because he's got a terrible injury record at the moment. And um, yeah, again, he, he, he's probably asking for about 90 grand plus a week. I, I couldn't justify that. I couldn't justify that on a defender who's that inconsistent. So I think there's major issues. And we're not just talking defensively. I mean, in midfield, it just didn't seem to put in the normal intensity that Tuchel demands, right? And the fact that, you know, I think there was some promising pieces like the likes of Lukaku and Werner trying to play together, which was interesting to see. But again, we've been talking about how lacklustre they are in terms of they're not getting the goals that Chelsea need right now. And they've been really reliant on Kai Havertz. He was bought on. He just looks tired now. He looks like the only one that's been trying for weeks. Um, so, yeah, I'd say if they stay in top four, they they are very lucky because the momentum of the other sides are just that much poorer compared to them. Um, so I could see them slipping up. On Arsenal, I just don't know which Arsenal side is going to turn up week on week because obviously you saw the performance against Southampton. Yeah, sure, they had more chances, but you're losing to a side like Southampton and that was where I suppose Arteta is trying to progress their style of football is to win those kind of games. So... Uh, I still kind of go on this narrative of I think you should have done better in the January window. I know a lot of Arsenal fans say or remind me that, you know, it's not just Arteta, it's also the boards, Stan Kroenke, etc. But equally, you can't tell me you're going to let X amount of players go out of the doors and not replace them with a form of quality or someone to maybe even bring on loan. Because the likes of Luka Jovic, for example, Real Madrid, he sat there not even making the bench. You're saying to me you couldn't have bought him just for a loan for till the end of the season, just to give him some game time, maybe just make an impact for himself, maybe, you know, do something for as a plan B. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting, but I, I couldn't really tell you and to, even to Andy which way that game against Man United is going to go because I just don't know whether Man United will give a shit now in light of, you know, the performance that happened midweek or will Arsenal kind of carry on the form that you saw against Chelsea, which they were superb. They were absolutely really good. I mean, even that to all, you got this sense that Arsenal were going to turn it around. So 
it's an interesting one but let's quickly i'm going to just move on and we'll move on to scottish football corner um we'll talk about your beloved rangers uh craig and geo van bronkhorst has got a victory in the old firm derby again you weren't even confident going into that hamden semi-final but a fantastic performance um, you'll have to explain to us, though, a few factors. So I did see about Kimar Roof has been brought up ap- about his comments after the match, uh, allegedly, supposedly sectarian related. I know there was a lot of chanting in that match that was very sectarian related. Interestingly, I thought the um, stat around um, Arfield uh, dedicating his goal to his sister-in-law's dad was interesting to see. Lundstrom's performance, I think that has to be hailed as well. Um, but yeah, so many talking points. Let's talk about you as a Rangers fan. How pleased were you to see that performance at long last under Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, should I say? Yes, I was I was delighted and, and surprised, to be perfectly honest. I was far more confident going into the Braga uh, second leg at Irox, believe it or not, than I was at, about playing Celtic. Uh, just based on the last two games, really, they, they tore us apart at Parkhead. Um, and then they beat us um, at Ibrox earlier in the month through a pretty lackluster performance from Rangers. So wasn't, you know, wasn't expecting an awful lot. Um, managed to get it on my phone, on a dodgy stream, and a dodgy Wi-Fi, and a dodgy pub in Wales. Uh, so just about saw the game um, through, my, through my iPhone. Um, and Rangers were by far the better team, if you had to have guessed which team played two hours on the Thursday night, you, you wouldn't have thought it was Rangers. I thought the fitness levels were superb. Um, John Lundstrom, I haven't seen um, a, a Rangers midfielder stroll an old-form game like that since Barry Ferguson, really. Um, just absolutely imperious, putting the Celtic captain in his arse whenever he liked and, and controlled the game, the tempo. He was he was absolutely superb. Um, so, yeah, really, really pleasing. Some great scenes. And the fallout, um, it's a battle. Of, it's one of those, tell me... Celtic lost the old firm without telling me Celtic lost the old firm. It's, uh, it's everything that they can potentially bring up. We've had the referees are Mason, uh, the referee drinks at the Orange Lodge, um, came out of a sectarian, John Lundstrom tackles too hard. Uh, we're in day four of the meltdown now, there'll be another story tomorrow. And this is, this is what happened, and it happened with a referee called John Beaton uh, a few years ago, and they had um, projectiles put through his, his home. Uh, windows smashed, etc., etc. So it's a it's a ploy and a, a tactic deployed by Celtic and their mouthpieces to to put pressure on referees so that referees find it more difficult to award decisions to Rangers in the future. And you know it it works. To be perfectly honest, it works. So yeah, despite everything you'll hear, Rangers did not have two goals that were offside. Um, Kamal Roof was not sectarian. John Lundstrom did not tackle too hard. Um, it was a pretty well contested game in which Rangers were. Yeah, the far better team um, came out of his comments. So um, there's a Rangers song called No Surrender and um, Celtic fans and, and that side of Glasgow believe that has sectarian connotations. Um, well, that's correct or not, it's not for me to say. And he said that at the end of the game, he said, you know, like the fans sing, uh, but we had no surrender performance from us. And that's, you know, caught fire. And um, yeah, I think you know the, the political commentators and the, the journalists must miss all the the singing from Celtic fans, they must have selected feeling, and that's that's the most frustrating thing. Either you're against sectarianism um, in football, or you're not. You can't call it one side or the other. So you're either okay with it, in which case it's it's okay, or you're against it and you call it all out, and that's that's absolutely not what's happening. But yeah, when when Celtic win, there's there's no problem with songs, there's no problem with referees, there's no problem with tough tackles. Um, all is fair, 
Uh, when we Rangers win, you get a week of, yeah, the usual mouthpieces, uh, Sutton, Hartson and the gang just um, <laughs> yeah, peddling bullshit to try and deflect from what was a lack of performance from Celtic and it's bursting a bubble royally. They they had the, the treble in their heads in the bag. Um, they, they thought it was all sewn up and they were absolutely not expecting that. So I made it all the bit sweeter. But yeah, every every day of the meltdown, just um, it's like the dessert after the main meal on, on the Sunday. It really is. It's just a nice, a nice little addition to the week. But yeah, exceptionally happy. I think the league's probably, I think it's probably still gone. Listen, if I'm, if I'm sitting here, to be honest, I don't, I can't imagine they'll drop too many points at, at Celtic mm. Park. They play them next weekend um, on the 1st of May, on the Sunday. Uh, we'll be hotly contested. If we win there, then we might be able to put some pressure on, but a draw there for there is enough for Celtic and yeah, yeah we're a bit against them. So, yeah, uh, Scottish Cup final again against Hearts, who have been exceptional this season. They can they were promoted and are now in second and third. Um, and yeah, double header uh, against Leipzig to look forward to. So, yeah, you never know, you never know. But yeah, an exceptionally good four days, Thursday to Sunday, to be a Rangers supporter. So let's talk about the other big thing that happened in Scottish football, and that is the VAR being yeah. instigated for next season. Uh, interestingly, it won't be uh, put into place until after the Qatar World Cup, which I thought was quite bizarre. But yeah. all but one club of the 42 that voted for this were in favour of VAR. Um, interestingly, they've gone for the deluxe version of VAR, whatever that means. And uh, that by that, I mean someone in a studio reviewing it as opposed to what most European nations do, which is referees at the stadiums reviewing it through, yeah, some sort of CCTV, I suppose. I think um, that's a protect the referee against Pelters, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the um, VAR guy won't get this to him alive if he's, if he's on site <laughs> in, in Scotland. Um, yeah, yeah there's, the, there's obviously hopes to bring it closer to July, from what I heard. And uh, obviously, this is where we have to relate to John Hartson's recommendations as well, right, Craig? Yeah, so I still take those points in terms of John Hartson, who is, I think I tweeted out, he's just a fucking idiot, right? This is a guy who's, who's had a reasonably successful career, um, internationalist, played in the Premier League and, and won titles in Scotland. He's now employed he gets paid real money to talk about football and he thinks you can be offside with a part of the body that you're not allowed to score with and he's had to come out and this is again this is this is Celtic getting these people to, to push this agenda against the referees to, to deflect so he's 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 said to say that on the day and he's had to come out and apologize to say oh yeah all I had to do is open page one of the fucking offside book and it tells you right there that I'm talking shite. Um so this and John Hartson's just a fucking clown Sutton the whole Alan Thompson, the whole gang are just, um, yeah, they're, they're out there to push the Celtic narrative. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, with VAR, Scotland have already made a total arse of it. And bringing it in halfway through a season is is bizarre in, in every way. What happens if Celtic or Rangers win the, the league by two points? And VAR is in the second part of the season, but there's a really contentious decision in September that is not given as a penalty, but VAR would have given it a penalty. So then the introduction of VAR is then not consistent throughout the entire seasons and some games are refereed better than others. So to start the half mm. of the season just completely Why? It makes it, it makes it, no it's sense. Just because it's, it's it's just Scotland and we just like to <laughs> If, if it's a case of getting the technology in time for the start of this season, I understand that. But then you postpone it until the 23-24 season. That's what you have to do. You you just cannot and hopefully hopefully someone in the SFA and I'm not holding my breath see sense here and puts it back to next summer because you're just you're going to get something you're going to get 
if Rangers win the title by a point and Celtic get denied a penalty in an old firm game that VAR would have absolutely given, it just it just it just creates another another bone of contention. So yeah, if we can't be ready for this summer, if it can't be ready for this summer, put it in the summer. If it can't be ready for this summer, what, what about what about it? It takes so long. You just got to put some fucking cameras there and the monitor. Oh, like... man. oh uh, <laughs> it's, it's, this is this is the SPFL. Um, here, so nothing nothing moves quickly up here. You could go to um, your local curries, get some people over, and I'll sort it out for you. The twenty yeah, quid, like... so I don't know. I, I don't know what the, the deal is, but it. it cannot come in halfway through a season and the other thing about Scotland is that the quality of refereeing is, is so so poor um, that if it's the same idiots that referee the games as the VAR it's still not going to be done properly anyway so uh, I welcome it I think it's we're the only sort of semi-respectable nation in Europe that doesn't have it it's, it's a welcome um, site I think it will put to bed a lot of the conspiracy things that, that get said in Scottish football as well which will be quite interesting a lot of these um Debatable penalties that, that Celtic seem to think we get, I think, will be cleared up with VAR. So, you'll, I for one, welcome it. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting because in Scotland, we don't have, for example, what the Premier League have with the, the big screens at stadiums where it can come up VAR decision, penalty, no penalty, foul on this guy, foul on that guy. There, there are no real screens. Other it's a deal from there are no screens like that. So, it'll be interesting you know, what happens at, at Fur Park or you know, elsewhere where. Just the game is stopped for two minutes and the crew don't really know. Is it going to be on a tannery system? I think they need to work some of that out. But yeah, if it can't be done in time for the you know, restart in August, then it, it has to be postponed. But overall, hopefully it's a positive thing. I think it will just create more arguments than it, than it solves. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's about time we, we joined the rest of Europe in, in 2022. Wasn't there, mm. wasn't there, I'm not sure if you've got some hearts about bringing referees from elsewhere? Yeah, this is like this that. is because again another line that, that Celtic are pushing is that the, the referee was a Rangers supporter, um, and that referees cannot be trusted to manage in Scotland referee games in Scotland because of, of their bias of their football team. So he wants to bus in um referees from England because they think it'll, they'll give Celtic a fairer game. Again, this referee, um a guy called Bobby Madden, um Who's refereed all from games? He actually refereed the 3-0 game at Parkhead. He wasn't a Rangers fan that day. Um, and if it is a if it is a Masonic conspiracy, why didn't they let it go to full time? Why can you not just you know let Rangers win in, in, in normal time and um you know save us all that bit of a, a heart attack? So yeah, it's just it's just foundless, foundless um claims really to deflect up from the fact the way that Celtic have blown what they thought was a guaranteed treble, a very poor performance, um, and they're just trying to deflect attention onto referees and officials to make it harder for them to give Rangers decisions and lead up to line up. And if you're a betting man, and I know a couple of you are, um, put your mortgage on John Lundstrom getting an early yellow card in your firm next Sunday because all of the chat this week has been about John Lundstrom. Uh, tackles too hard. He ran the red card tightrope even though he wasn't even booked. Um, tackles too hard. Throw himself about too much. I like we're just forgetting that Scott Brown's career existed in Scotland. <laughs> did, that, did that not? Did that, did that not fucking just happen for the last ten years? And he was he was lauded for it. Um, Lundstrom gave a similar performance, and it was all about how he's just escaped the red card. So yeah, put put fifty quid on John Lundstrom being booked to no form nice and early next Sunday morning. Okay, well we'll do that anyway. So um, let's quickly just round up some Serie A action as well. Um, a bit of a quieter one, but we did see some results go in a favour of Inter Milan. Uh, Napoli and Juve in particular drawing, so uh, that puts a dent to their chances of Scudetto. But interestingly, Roma, can they? Can they, uh, Craig? Can they actually get into fourth spot? 
Um, and then just quickly, I don't know if we really have enough time, but Atalanta, this could be their worst finish under Gasparini. Um, lots of injury problems we know, um, but yeah, it seems like they are dropping like a stone at the moment. So um, let's start off by talking about Napoli 1, Roma 1. Roma getting that late winner or equaliser, should I say, um, denting a huge chance for Napoli to be in that top three, top two, I'd say right now. I mean, I know it's not unforeseeable, but yeah, the momentum of Milan and Inter really are going to tell this weekend as well. Um, they've got both really, I suppose, the hardest fixtures of the lot now going into the penultimate games. But yeah, obviously, Roma, good performance. I know you're probably going to say it wasn't a great performance because it's Mourinho-style football. But yeah, um, the form table does suggest they are in the right kind of mode right now to potentially uh, outdo Juventus. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, they'll still need a, a lot of things to go their way to, to leapfrog Juventus. But I actually thought Roma were pretty, pretty good. Yes, functional, pretty, no, it wasn't. But I thought they had a reasonable amount of chances and it really gave gave Napoli a really good game in Naples, which is not an easy place to go. So I was I was actually pleasantly surprised at how well Roma performed after years of watching them turn up and chuck in limp performances against the rivals on about them. I thought that was was pretty good. Um, Inter Milan play Roma on Saturday night, so it'll be interested in if Roma can have a say in where the title ends up. Once Inter Milan get past Roma, the run-in's probably the kindest of the lot um, from memory, so I think it's probably Inter Milan's to lose. But, listen, the way that Serie has been this season, um, yeah, you wouldn't put it past AC Milan to go and run either. Juventus, I think their title's probably done now. They, they couldn't really afford any, any slip-ups. Um, yeah, if Roma can finish top four and you know, potentially get into the final or, or win the, the Conference League. Yes, it's the Conference League. Um, but I think they could put that down as a, a good season after, you know, I was talking two, three months ago about what a disaster it, it was and, and Chris Shorter and Atalanta, yeah, that, that bubble was well and truly bust. They'll be, they're just looking forward to the end of the season. Chalk this off as a, a bit of a disaster. Lots of injuries, lots of COVID problems. Just put this one down to uh, a bad year and start again in the summer. Mm-hmm. And Fiorentina find themselves in sixth place after Lazio could only yeah. draw against Torino. Um, they've got a game in hand over Lazio as well. So, um, yeah, I think last week you weren't kind of seeing that potentially take place. But, yeah, they find themselves in a positive position. Um, that said, obviously, it's a few more games to go. So we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, we go into this weekend where there's some juicy games. So uh, let's start off by talking about the weekend preview. Start off with yourself, Craig. What are the games for you that you're going to take an eye on this weekend? So I've written a couple down. Uh, Rangers are away to Motherwell. That game's been brought forward to the Saturday. Arsenal United, obviously, into Roma, we've discussed. Uh, and then two games as well. Bayern host Dortmund and Bayern Munich will win the Bundesliga if they beat Dortmund on Saturday. Uh, and then Paris Saint-Germain host Lens, uh, and they will also win the league if they beat Lens on Saturday. So a couple of games. And then on, on Sunday, um, Chelsea-West Ham have highlighted Hertha mm. versus Stuttgart. Yeah. Hertha are in the shit and Stuttgart are also. So that's a, a tough one. And then, yeah, Lazio Milan, I guess. So, yeah, you're right. It's... Um, mm-hmm. A really, really tasty weekend with some games of real consequence um, coming up. But yeah, for me, I'll definitely watch Inter versus Roma uh, and Arsenal Manchester United. I don't know how you could be a neutral and not want to watch that that game on yeah, Saturday. Exactly. exactly. And what about you, Andy? Are you kind of fixated on that Arsenal Man United game? <laughs> might avoid it. Nah, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I think as 
as with anything like with Arsenal United games, there's always a bit of carnage involved. Like both teams aren't playing particularly well. So um, I think it'll be um, that, you know, if United win that, there's still a potential chance of top four. So yeah, it's, there's definitely quite a bit to play for. Uh, pride, if anything else. Um, and obviously, going forward to La Liga, um, Real Madrid could take a very big step to um, winning the league uh, mm. this weekend. Um, I think they need that one more win um, to get it in the bag. So uh, they'll play Espanyol, so they should mm. be winning that one. So, yeah, the title race in um, Spain starting to um, come to a halt now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, interesting games there. Uh, I've also just put in there Brentford versus Spurs. I think this is going to be an interesting one in the sense of whatever happens with the earlier kickoff against Arsenal and Man United, um, Spurs have an opportunity to maybe cement their kind of title fourth place charge, should I say. Uh, but Brentford being in the form that they are and Christian Eriksen might uh, come back to haunt Spurs. You never know of that one. And uh, Bayern versus Dortmund, I've also put down. That's a 5.30 kickoff on Saturday. Uh, I expect that will go the favour of Bayern, um, but you never know. Uh, Dortmund actually have Haaland back, so we'll have to wait and see and see what happens in that particular result. Um, but that basically concludes the pod for another week. So many thanks to Andy and Craig for your contributions. And listener, if you haven't already done so, make sure you subscribe to our social media channels. So on Twitter at HopelessPod and on Instagram at the Hopeless Wonder Podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed that episode, but more importantly, you have a good week or weekend whenever you're listening to us. But for now, take care and we'll see you at next week's episode. Take care, everyone.